little whoop. Wow. I mean, until he returns, or we just say, hello, Lord, and death, we are just held fast in him and living for his glory. Wow. Praise God. So welcome to worship today. So um, here's where we're heading. Thank you. Some of you are just nodding at me going, we are so glad to be here. Um, it's Easter. We're going to do something crazy and let the cat out of the bag. Jesus has resurrected from the grave. You are two weeks early on that. I know. And here's the beauty of that. We just want to think, I think I'm glad y'all clapped for that. That's good news for Christ followers, that he is alive and risen. And we just really want to spend the next few weeks as we walk up to Easter just saying, so what, Lord? Because we, we know you're resurrected from the grave. So what's that look like for us? Um, I'm glad you're uh, worshiping with the body of Christ today. Um, I think that we had church yesterday as well. Um, I love when guys like Jeff Litton pop up and said, did you, I mean, did you just see on social network where all we were, where we were yesterday? Like, I think we might have had a good little bit of church going on yesterday. I don't know what you were doing yesterday. Um, apparently, uh, Ryan Ship was not doing important enough stuff. He's watching basketball and making fun of Gator. So on behalf of Gator Nation, I apologize for him. And the Seminoles all just said don't. And so, um, but I, I mean, yesterday was such a great day for me personally. I was hanging out with Barry and Amanda and, um, where's Mr. Bouton, Richard? I was, I was hanging out with some great folks. Found out that Mr. Bouton is sitting out, hanging out under a tree, reading a great book and discovering that he works at the children's home. And I'm, I'm walking around meeting these beautiful kids and hanging out with people who are loving on those who are father and motherless right now and just enjoying life and going, God, this is so good. And, and, and then while I'm there, um, our students are down at City Rescue folding clothes so that the homeless will have clothes that they can wear in this city. That's pretty amazing. I think we're having church at that point yesterday, maybe even more than today. While that's going on, World Relief, and some of our people are over there at World Relief. Mandarin's just hanging out with them. And they're um, walking with refugees who have been in this country less than six months. And they're on a freedom walk. Just this, not freedom like, well, yes. Yes, freedom from tyranny. Many of whom have experienced ultimate tragic tyranny in their lives. And they have been rescued temporarily into the story of the American nation. But then a walk to ultimate freedom. Like, we're here because we love Jesus. Churches are partnering with you. And it's a good day to have church and have a walk. And pray that you'll discover consummate freedom in Jesus Christ. We, we were having church yesterday. That's where a lot of our people were in church. And I think I've mentioned three. And um, I, where else were we? The children's home. We were... At, World Relief, we were, um, we're always at ILC, although I did drive by yesterday and Kim, nobody was in the parking lot. Um, but, um, we're, we're all, we're, I wrote it down. We were, I mean, we were just having fun. Cause, cause I, we're in Haiti! Ha! Yes! <laughs> Thank you for making fun of your pastor right now. Thinking, what is he thinking? Yeah, we're in Haiti, for heaven's sake, literally. And, uh, so I mean, welcome to worship. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. And we think that it's normal that that's what a Saturday looks like for the church. Wow. You know, I mean, that's so um, I think that is the brunt of my message today in a nutshell of what church should look like. And so I just want to amplify it for a few minutes. If you have a Bible, I want to think about Colossians. I believe that he is saying some powerful things in Hebrews, the 12th chapter about what he's been teaching in 
um, Colossians. And so just for three weeks, I want to think about a couple of verses and then back up a chapter. So um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 are absolute life verses for me, favorite verses and um, powerful verses that just talk about this idea of um, awaken. I love the graphic that just says, um, that's our theme for the next four weeks, arise, O sleeper, wake from the dead. And surely as you arise up and you wake from the dead, this is Ephesians, by the way, 5.14, as you arise and wake from the dead, the light of Jesus Christ will shine upon you. And here's what I'm praying among us, and I think God's already doing this, so I'm just praying for more and more of this. I'm praying for us over the next four weeks that God will foster a great awakening among us. And I'm not talking about the great awakening. That's already happened, and He's already done some pretty marvelous things in the great awakening. I'm just praying for God to wake up sleepers. And to say, look, Lord, you have risen from the dead. But that verse is not about Jesus' resurrection. It is to the church at Ephesus, which is ultimately to the church sitting at Mandarin saying, hey, wake up. Rise up from the dead. For Christ has resurrected you. And when you rise up and begin to ask questions like, oh, God, how do I engage for the sake of your glory? His light will shine upon you. And then I just kind of skip chapters and books and say, and when His light shines upon you, you will be like a a reflection of the living God and you will come down off the mount like Moses. And I love this in the book of Corinthians. I'm getting excited now and off text. But I love this in Corinthians when it says, and with unveiled faces and ever increasing glory, God will reflect His life through His body of believers who are awakened to His presence His power, His life, and His hope. And so I have great news, people. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And He steps into this room and says, By the way, church, rise up. Awaken. For Christ longs to shine upon you. And we just want to we want to kind of unpack and say, so yes, we agree with that. I think almost everyone in the room just amen in that moment in our um, quiet way. And we just agreed with that. But what does that mean for us? I mean, how do we say, okay, God, I love this. And I think that Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 starts to unpack some critical meaning. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And as we run, we fix our eyes on Jesus He's the pioneer. He's the author and he is the perfecter of of our faith. And here's why this is a little Easter message. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He kind of left out a little part and just went immediately to the set down at the right hand of the father. But before that, he um, resurrected from the dead. We got to get that in for Easter, right? So he endured the cross, scorned its shame, resurrected from the dead and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's, we just should probably think about that for four weeks, right? And just kind of say, look, Lord, it's Easter. We're going to rise up. We're going to awaken. And it's going to be pretty exciting. I, um, I, I love this idea that, um, that it's just, it, it seems to me, I think church people are really, we're really weird. And I, when I say stuff like this, I am, um, I am the quintessential church person. I was attending. I had perfect attendance from pre nine months. Like I have, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I mean, that's me. It's, I mean, I'm a church person, so be offended with me. But we're so weird. Like we have, we have this, I was like, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. 
And then we say, so maybe what we should do to celebrate that is to buy an entire new wardrobe for our family and show up for Easter. Hallelujah. We're, I mean, would you, I mean, this was a tragic thing for me as a child. And my mom is, oh, Lord bless her. I better not, I, mom, I love you, but I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, this was tragic for me because my mom would actually put together a leisure suit for us. Anyone have reflections of leisure suit days? I've got a great picture. I, I'll bring it next weekend for you. It is green. It's got the floral shirt. You remember the collar that comes out to right here? It supersedes your shoulders. Not only was I rocking that as about a nine-year-old boy, but I was wearing the new white shoes. And this is back when they were pre-broken in. So they were like hard as bricks. And so a little boy who's a might bit active, can you imagine that for me? Just putting on these shoes that I can't even walk in, wearing the green leisure suit that, oh, by the way, matches my father's handmade leisure suit. We need a picture of that. Rick Wheeler's going, yes, we do. I mean, where, where, do, where does that... So, Jesus, you're resurrected from the dead. We should dress nice on Sunday, right? Where did that come from? And so, Jesus, you resurrected from the dead. We should eat chocolate. Like, we should, we should eat a lot of chocolate because that's what we do on Easter. Jesus, you're resurrected from the dead. We're the church. We should probably have a big meal that day and get everybody together. Jesus, you're resurrected from the dead. I don't know. I start to think about Hebrews 12 and the cloud of witnesses that that's all I want to think about today is the cloud, by the way. I start to think about the crowd. I think that, okay, Jesus, you're resurrected from the dead. And so instead of me kind of going, what are some of the weird traditions that we do? Um, I just start to say, so what did the church do? So they, we, you're resurrected from the dead. And so we're going to go to an upper room and we're going to get on our face and we're going to pray until the resurrected Christ comes among us. And we're going to pray until the spirit of God falls among us. And we're going to pray until the church of Jesus Christ mobilizes among us. That's what we're going to do in response to the resurrection. And while I do appreciate a good meal, and I am very thankful that my wife will have chocolates waiting for us on Easter morning and we'll partner to do that, I'm really thinking that the Church of Jesus Christ should think about some greater traditions. I think we should think about some things that are far superior than we've got a meal coming and we're going to wear our best outfit. I think we're Robbie starting to say, holy Jesus, what would the early church, what would the cloud of witnesses do in response to the resurrection? I mean, what's going to happen among the body of Christ? I mean, Jesus is alive. I just, I've jot some things down that I think might happen. Jesus is alive and therefore, because he's resurrected, the nations will be glad and rejoice. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will make its way to every tribe and tongue and nation and people because the church of Jesus Christ wakes up and the light of Christ shines in the middle of us and we are just compelled to follow what Jesus said would be a natural or supernatural, if you will, byproduct of his resurrection, which is to go. This is going to happen. I mean, it's so as you're praying about your traditions and you've thought about your new outfit, how about this tradition? God, where are you taking me? Because you resurrected from the dead. And I don't think it's enough to eat a good meal, dress nicely on Easter. In fact, I love what our kids pastors wrote um, this week on Facebook. You can agree or disagree. I really don't care. She just wrote and said, what if we didn't buy our kids an outfit, but we actually, she didn't put all this. What if, what if we actually sponsored a kid who could actually eat instead of 
us wearing something new? What if we actually found an indigent couple in this nation, in, that, in, in this city even, that we could feed instead of the hundreds that we spent? What if we think differently about Easter because Jesus resurrected from the dead? I don't really, I, some of you are really going, you're messing up my dress. You're just messing with my dress. Jesus is alive. Let's, I mean, what would happen if we just were filled with a group of humble and broken people and just said, Lord, um, we think you want to bring um, your joy among us, that you're resurrected from the dead and it is absolutely stirring our soul. And we just want to come. And if we want to be biblical, we want to, we want to die to self so we come alive to you. So Jesus, you've resurrected from the dead and we want to die as well so that we can rise again and live for the sake of your glory. What if, what if we just get in this church and for the next weeks we're proclaiming that Jesus is alive and it actually means that the hungry are fed? And I don't mean that in a churchy way like the preacher says it and we agree with it. I mean like literally the hungry are fed. Like where a team of seven are right now, there's a bunch of rocks sitting on the ground and we could actually feed the greater city of Cabaret by finishing an aquaponics project and we don't have to talk about this in theory. We actually could talk about it in real ways. I love Celia Winkleman, Winkleman standing up in front of her senior adult crowd last week and saying, you know what, we have handed out over 30 baskets, I think it was, to the, to the hungry people in this city. And what if, because Jesus resurrected from the dead and he's alive among us, that people actually physically eat? I mean, what if, I just put this in my pocket, this is my daughter's, what if this is made out of dirt? This little bracelet is made out of dirt. The one that I'm wearing, I know for sure, is made out of dirt. And that there are children, not generic children on another continent, we don't know. Children that we have locked eyes with when we fly into Port-au-Prince that are eating dirt to live. And what if, hey, Jesus is alive and we go, whoo! And then we start to say, so who's going to get creative and plant something like the apparent project? Because that's what the resurrection did for a couple who just went over in Port-au-Prince and said, for sustainability, we think we can serve hundreds of families and children won't eat dirt. We're going to make the dirt they eat into something beautiful so that people who will buy this at Easter will wear this and they'll eat food and not dirt. Just kind of put our all of our worries that we brought into the room today in the context. Today, you're going to walk out and eat a piece of chicken or you're going to eat a piece of beef. You're not going to eat dirt. Jesus is alive. So, I mean, I wonder what the church would be about if we knew that. I wonder if Jesus is alive, if the orphans would have more homes next year. My friend, I was just telling you guys, Jim, I didn't get to tell you. I have some great friends that we've been friends with for almost 20, well, more than 20 years now. And they, um, they just brought their second child home from, um, China yesterday, Friday. And it was so beautiful. So I threw them on my Facebook. If you want to see them, you can pull it up right now and look. And, and their little Richie is, this is their sixth child, by the way. Um, and they have this incredible story going on. And I just love that. And, and what if that's normal? Like, I walked around the children's home. There's this little boy outside yesterday. And Susan was talking with the lady about, you know, just what she was actually talking about orphan's heart and what they're doing in Dominican Republic and what God's doing and, and to care for children around. And, and I'll try not, I can't look at my wife. I'll cry if I look at her. But the, she's talking about adoption and this little boy, he's so beautiful. This little boy says, she's talking about some kids that have been matched with the family. And the little boy looks at her and he says with all of his heart, but doesn't every kid need a forever family? And I'm just sitting thinking, yes, 
I mean, I walk around the children's home yesterday and I think, God, I walked through the home that you guys redid, Amanda, and I just, I had nobody was in the house. They're redoing open this house and I just cried my way through it thinking, God, every child is belonging to a family. What if the church, and I'm getting ahead of myself now, what if this church, because I've been a part of two other churches like this, that really just said, look, 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 we think we can eliminate the foster system in this city. Just, Jesus is alive. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who may or may not have eaten chocolate and may or may not have worn new clothes, I don't know, so therefore I'm not against those things, who may or may not have had a great meal at Easter, but here's what they did do. They were sawn in two for their faith. They traveled to great parts of the world for their faith. They, by faith, looked at things that were far away and they were convicted and convinced in the hope that they had and it compelled them to go and do radical things for their faith. And this, 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 there's this conviction and hope that must settle among us that says Jesus is resurrected from the dead and maybe some of these things are going to happen. Like we really might say, the thirsty will drink. As in literally, Jesus, you are the wellspring of life and we know that you are ultimate drink, but you apparently said that you should probably hand them a cup of real cold water and then tell them about the living water. You're slowing down on your amens. But Jesus is alive. The captive will literally be free. I mean, these things are going to happen among us. I love going and hanging out with some of our church members yesterday and just listening to one of them as we ate a hamburger. Once again, eating is okay. We ate a hamburger set on the grass and I had one of my friends weeping over trafficking. And I think that because Jesus is alive, some kids that are currently trafficked won't be trafficked anymore because the church of Jesus Christ met and had Easter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we throw off the sin, mediocrity, and indifference that so easily entangles us. And we fix our eyes on Jesus who said, captives will be free because I've stepped on this earth. That those who are currently hurting and in sorrow will gain joy and hope. And it's because here comes the church. So, welcome to Easter. This is an incredible time. What if people who are attempting to find hope and who are hopeless find that they meet a group of people who walk around with this treasure in jars of clay? And that we walk day in and day out with this hope that abounds among us, that we are convicted about hope. One person with deep conviction and unfettered hope can catalyze an entire group. You see this over and over throughout Scripture, and I won't belabor the stories. I I love the story of Nehemiah, and I just want to park in the book of Nehemiah at some point to see one guy captured a heart for a people far away. They were his people. He said, I would rather lose my position and go and serve them, and he catalyzed a nation. I want to point out what will ultimately be a huge story. At one point, I was reading this micro, I've read the book of Nehemiah so many times, and there was this one short sentence that I read as I was reading through my version Bible that store, that struck my heart, and it said this, it says this, it says that Nehemiah had mobilized the whole generation, and he was working on the area of the, um, of the fences, and when he was working in that area, it says that this group was with him, but the nobles wouldn't lift their hands. You know what that sentence struck me? God forbid that we are ever a noble. God, and I think as I read that, once again, this will come out in a whole sermon. 
But I just, I read that sentence and thought, Lord, there is a reason that you said humility, that contrite hearts were what you long for, because nobles are great at sitting around in their pious framework and casting stones at everyone else. And nobles, even among the body of believers, will join with those who are outside the body of believers who are tearing it down, and we expect that. But the nobles will sit in the middle of the body, and they will castigate those who are being about the kingdom. God forbid that there's a noble in this room. And if there is, please ignore you. Because it appears to me, it doesn't appear to me, read Nehemiah, they kept going because there was a hope-centered conviction among them that God was doing something great. And Nehemiah stepped in, and in a miraculous number of days, they built the wall, even despite the nobles. I I love that. David just steps in among a group of people and catalyzes a nation. There's a whole group just sitting there. They're supposed to be fully armored for the sake of God. Jesus is alive. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It is not our role to come and sit and endure for an hour and walk out. It catalyzes us. David walked up in my favorite King James Version sentence in all of Scripture. Is there not a cause? You all are here. I'll go take on the giant. And he does and he wins. And then the whole nation follows. See, here's, here's maybe what I want you to grab. I am praying for an awakening among this church. And I'm praying. And it takes a, it takes a catalyst or two or three. Or maybe what, what could happen if there were three or four hundred of us who just said, we're going to be catalysts because Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And it, I actually believe, I'm, I'm crazy enough to believe that if Jesus can take 12 and carry the gospel to the world, what could he do with 400? who just look in this room and say, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And some of us in this room are going to have to reach a point of saying, we have believed your resurrection in a manner that has been subservient to the call of the resurrection. We have believed it in a way for a long period of our lives to simply sit back and say, we like you, we wear a nice dress, and we eat chocolate. And that is not the purpose of the resurrection. And there will be a call throughout these next weeks to say, Father, What are you asking of us as a result? Awaken, O sleeper. Let his face shine upon you. I just, I could go on with there, but I I think that what moves me is there is this cloud that we can look to that the first sentence of Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since you are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, as you all know, anytime you read therefore, you gotta ask what's it? You've heard this surely before, therefore. And so you bounce backwards to Hebrews 11, which is, Quite possibly the best chapter in all the Bible, except for other of your favorite chapters. I mean, quite possibly the best, because it's the chapter of the heroes of the faith. And he just, he steps off and he says, so let's start applying this. What could this mean? He, he clarifies what it means in Hebrews 11, 1, when he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He says, so look, if you're going to say that you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, this cloud said, God, we believe in some things that we hope for, and what we hope for, we're not seeing yet. We're, we're not, we're not seeing anything going on, and yet, God, we have this conviction of heart that you are moving among us. I mean, there are, just look at Noah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of not, things not seen, and, and the Lord literally says to Noah, so it's a little, that's a little interesting subject going on these days, right? Let's just stick with the text of this. The Lord says to Noah, hey Noah, I want you to go and build something you've never seen. And he does. I th- he looks at Abraham and Sarah. These are, by the way, people in Hebrews 11 chapter. He looks at them and he says, you're going to have a kid and you are old. And I don't mean old like you're kind of old. I mean, you are super ancient. 
Hebrews 11 said, I want you to remember the stories of the ancient ones. And Abraham and Sarah would have gone, that's us. We are ancient ones in this story. It's amazing. And faith, when forged in the Christ-consumed conviction, it is foolish. It makes no sense. Can you imagine Noah when he is putting the plank up after plank up, just faithfully day in and day out, building something, assured of what he has been hoped for, convicted of what the Lord has said to him. He has not yet seen it, and yet he keeps building. He keeps preparing for rain. One of my favorite sentences from a movie. He keeps preparing for rain. He keeps preparing for rain. For years and years and years, he picks up another board and simply says, Holy God, I have conviction about this and I will not stop. Can you picture Abraham and Sarah in their 90s? Sitting in their backyard? Pulling out their gator chairs. I'm going to give some gators some props now. Sitting back, propping up their feet, looking at the stars, and they're holding hands together saying, God says that we're going to fill the earth to that measure. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And in the economy of God, the things He is calling us toward will not add up and do not make sense. And if it's just be straight up and honest with you, if most of what we're doing at Mandarin makes sense, I wonder if we are living by faith. If most of what we're about adds up and it makes sense and it comes together and we can plan it. Because I look at Abraham, I look at the whole chapter, Hebrews the 11th chapter, I don't find many, I don't find any stories. If you can find one, please jot me a note. I don't find any that add up. They don't make sense. And God's economy doesn't add up. It bursts in the heart of some of you people in this, this catalytic call to things that you can't do. This passionate call to say, holy God, I think you are calling me to some things. I think it is absolutely beautiful. Our actions move God there. Our actions move in the heart of God to say, God, we're convicted of what we don't see. It sparks our heart. It sparks a kid. Look, 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 look. I've, I've already told this story, so I won't belabor it. It sparks a kid to literally bring a bag to serve 20,000 or more, 5,000 men, all of their children, all of the women. He brings a sack and he says, this is what we've got. Most of you in this room, all you've got is a vision and a sack. And Jesus, because that was worthy of an awesome moment. Most of us in this room, all you have is a vision and a sack, and it doesn't make sense. But when you hand that to Christ, He multiplies, and He does things. And I'm just looking at you and saying, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. And if we're going to rise up and awaken, therefore, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who were written about in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, who had a sack, had a vision, and had Jesus. And he moved in power among them and he just, he just favored them and blessed them and just said, look, I want to continue to do this. And so I, I, I was, um, enjoying sitting and listening Friday night. Um, I went to Carrie Job and Wren Collective. What an incredible night of worship. And I just sat in and listened and, and I love one of her responses because she was asked, where do you birth the heart of worship and songs? Where do these songs come from? And the leader of Wren Collective and the leader of uh, a carry job leader of a worship band just sat and thought for a while and I love their answer because they're, th- th- what I just said is not necessarily true. 
Some of you are sitting with not even a vision right now. And so I would say that maybe for you to awaken would be to say, God, what is the vision and purpose that you are birthing in my heart that you want to bring to fruition? And she began to wrestle with that. And somebody just raised their hand and said, Carrie, could you tell us how does the songs that you write, how do they birth out? And she, she sat for a minute, and I love what she said. She said these words, and um, you apply them as you see fit. I think they have beautiful rep- ramifications. She said, I have rarely sensed a great thing of God birth itself out of Facebook. I have rarely heard another songwriter say to me, I was inspired by that Instagram. I've, I've rarely heard someone say, that text just blew me up. She said, I rarely have heard, in fact, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say those. And she said, I've never heard anyone say, last time I watched Netflix. She said, you know where the inspiration comes? It comes from sitting down at the feet of the Savior, of marinating in the kingdom and His Word, of saying to Him, Father, I, I, I have to hear Your Word because, God, I don't want to be a sleeper. I don't want to be a noble. I want to sit and have you birth something in me. And most of you in this room, and I would just look at students and say, many of you are looking at your phones as I speak, which is crazy. I would look at you and say, you've got to put that away and hear God's voice. Many of us adults, I I follow you. At what point are you going to put that aside, open your scripture and sit down and say, I don't have a confident hope, nor do I have a passionate conviction. And I would say you do. You're convicted that some word is going to speak to you from some social network when the word of God is rich and it dwells here and could dwell among us. We won't birth a vision. Our student ministry will not birth a vision with a group of students who are more passionate about Instagram and Facebook and Twitter than they are about the living Son of God. It will not birth a vision among us as a church until we begin. And by the way, you're going to see me on it, so don't start throwing stones and going, we'll see what we see over there. I'm just telling you, you will never find me on that more than I am in the Word. And I'm just looking and saying, I love what her answer just, you know, and she's so kind. I don't come across nearly as kind as Carrie Job. She's so nice. I'm, I don't, I'm not, I'm a guy, like I'm not nice. And she, but she just said it so kindly, like you just sit and you just bask in the glow of God. And I'm going, yes. So I'm just wondering if we're going to have convictions and wake up sleepers and say, Lord, um, shake. Lord, what, what do you want to do with us? I think we've got to be convicted about some things that, that we're not, we're not yet seeing. I mean, I love this. Um, when you think about this, uh, I want to read some scripture, Hebrews 11. 13 through 16 just says they're, they're convicted of what they don't see. They're convicted about this stuff. I mean, it literally says, and all these people were living by faith, Hebrews 11, 13, when they died. I mean, listen, listen, this is, this is so powerful. They were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They saw them and they welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. Okay, that's a big deal. You are resurrected from the dead and you are resurrected to be seated with Christ in God. And therefore, as you walk through this earth, you are a foreigner and a stranger. And things if things make sense here, then you're not making kingdom sense. And so I love it. He just says, look, they're, they're here. They say, they show, they're, they're looking for a country of their own. <laughs> I love that. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they're longing for something a lot better. I mean, they're sitting in this room going, it's Easter and you just said he's resurrected and our hearts are just full. 
Because we're going to resurrect before Jesus Christ. And it's, I mean, He is resurrecting us. We're longing for heaven. And here's what Susan and I prayed for as we came here a year and a half ago and we're continuing to pray for this now. Jenny Allen wrote a great book called Anything and her, her thesis sentence is this. I want to run with friends who are chasing heaven. And we're just praying that. Just that there will be this conviction among us that there is something greater than this planet. And there will be a passion among us. And what God's going to birth out of here are, are all these folks who are saying, God, we're, we're, we're longing for something better. And, and that because of that, God is not ashamed to call them their God. I mean, if your greatest deal is what you're going to wear on Easter Sunday, please long for more. Open your heart. If your greatest thing is the meal you've planned, please eat the meal, but beg for the feast of the kingdom table. If this, if this, I mean, we're just kind of in the room going, okay, God, what are you going to birth among us? What do you want to bring out among us? Because he's, he's wanting to do something so beautiful where people are convinced and convicted. And many, here's what, here's what you should know. Many of you are going to be convicted about things and you won't see it this height of heaven, but you'll spend your life for it. Scriptural. I get excited about this. So God, what are you going to do? I just, I jotted down some thoughts of some things that people have done that we've shared life with. And uh, just these are examples. These aren't things you should do because God spoke to them. You might. But um, I, I've been a part of, of, of a couple of churches and people actually believe Jesus was resurrected. Um, they put dozens of wells throughout other parts of the world. Just, that was normal. It's very normal for what we did. Um, uh, we, our, our small group Bible study leader, who you met a year or two ago, um, felt like Africa should rejoice because she had a professional business. And so she turned a portion of her profession into serving Africa, and there are five helping groups in that nation. And people are drinking clean water. They're having medical care. Kids are going to school, and the gospel is is being um, presented. I love I love Bono. I'm kind of a weird U2 fan, and uh, and I love what he said. He said, "Where you live should not determine whether you live." And she kind of latched onto that and said, "Look, in our generation, where you live, we happen to live here, and we're going to go eat in about ten minutes. I'm almost done, and we're going to go eat. And I think we should eat, saying this guy because I happen to live here shouldn't determine whether or not I live." There are people who are literally starving to death while we work our way through this worship. That should probably be a catalyst for some of us. I love a friend. Um, her name is Catherine. She said to me one day, what if, what if we train teachers in what is currently a 100% Muslim world and we, um, we carry the gospel with us as we train them? Teachers will be influencers throughout three nations, one of which we've been at war with for a long time. She's trained many teachers. We're now kicked out of that country. We can't go in. But the gospel is not. What if we, what, I love one of my senior adults who came and just said, um, I've retired military. Um, I fell in love with England while we were stationed there. There seems to be a gospel abyss there. What if we go plant a church? I had a group of senior adults in my prior church that said, what if we feed every hungry person, hungry person in Crusty? And then they did it. Some folks here said, what if we hear all these languages around the city of Jacksonville and we actually engage them and see their lives changed? They're doing it. I had a church that I served with too, actually, that said, what if we eliminate the need for foster care? They've done it. I heard one of our senior adults look at me and say, what if I leave to go to West Africa? I've been a nurse. I've been retired for a long time. I'm old. I'm old. 
I'm an ancient one. And yet I want to write a bigger story than just at my age. I had my father look at me and call me and say, I want to talk to you, son. What if your mom and I sell our house and go live out of a fifth wheel and see if we can't figure out a pattern for a large city? I like that. I had one lady stand in my door and lean against it and say, what if, what if we teach all of the children in our church the beautiful picture of Scripture and we plant Scripture by memory in their hearts and they're still doing that? I had a friend look at me and it's a smaller town. And he said, what if we place a house group? What if we place a home group in every neighborhood in this city? They're still working on that, but they're about three-quarters of the way there. Had some people out here say, what if we leave here? Because we love y'all, but we love the orphans in Haiti more. And so we're saying goodbye. I had a beautiful lady here who taught preschoolers for 17 years, just planting the basic truths that God loves them and he made them. And he wants to be their forever friend in their hearts. What if that's God's call to some of you? What if we sell and we move into apartments and neighborhoods on purpose? That we stop seeing our neighbor as an inconvenience and see them as gospel-centered people? I mean, what if every one of us in this room lived where we live for the sake of the gospel? And we did it intentionally. What can you dream? I mean, what, what do you think? Awaken, O sleeper. What do you think God could plant in the heart of your dreams? Some of you are going, man, that will we look foolish? Well, faith con- consumed by Christ will look absolutely foolish. Read Hebrews 11. What, could, what is God awakening in you? Is it, is it bigger than you can accomplish? I hope so. Is God inviting you to some kingdom foolishness for His sake? I love A.W. Tozer. He said, look, we pray as if our problems are as big as our God. A high view of our God is the answer to 10,000 problems. Let me just say that again and I'll close out. We pray as if this vision that God has placed in us is too big for us. But if we have a bigger view, hey David, I'm walking up to a whole slew of people who are asleep. And there is a really big guy standing out in the middle of the field. And apparently all those people think he's big. But hey, David, I've walked up and I think God is bigger. And I have a high view of God. And because I have a high view of God, He is nothing and God is everything. And I will lead the cavalry as we go and take on for the glory of God. A high view of God overcomes 10,000 reasons of our lack of ability. To be able to say, Lord, what do you want to do among us? And so I just invite you today, I invite you today to awaken sleepers. Look around you. You are surrounded by a cloud. Pray bold prayers. Invite God to do bold things. Here's what I don't have. Okay, so here are the five things that God wants to do among us. No, no, no. Here are the 350 things that He could do to a group of people whose hearts are fully devoted to Him. Here's what He could do for a group of people who may put aside some of the things that distract us, that entangle us, sit down before our Father and hear His voice because His sheep hear His voice. His sheep who hear His voice are convinced and convicted. They move forward with hope and they know that their hope is better than this earth and it's bigger than this earth and they are going after a heavenly hope and they are hearing what He has to say and they are loving Him and they are moving forward and they're praying with boldness. They're praying with passion. And I'm just wondering who's going to be the catalyst.
He's going to lead the way. And better than that, I'm praying for a whole church to have an awakening to the presence and power and wonder of God. And I believe that when that happens, it will be great news for the city. Can we all just join and pray in that way? Would you, would you pray with me? Father, I love you. And I thank you that you give us a picture of what you do throughout Scripture as we read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I thank you for the way you speak to us through your Scripture. God, I pray that we will believe your Scripture in Hebrews eleven thirty nine, where you say of them, and I pray you say of us, they are commended for their faith. Not everything they thought on this earth would be received as promised, but God, you have planned something far better for us. Something that only in our relationship with you could be made perfect. So, Father, I pray that you will stir among us over the next three or four weeks holy convictions. Convictions that will drive us to celebrate Easter in a, in a, a way has never been celebrated for most of us. God, I pray that the, the result of Easter will be an awakening among our fellowship, a rising up of vision and hope, a passion for what you want to do around the world, and a, and a conviction of what we don't yet see. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We're going to sing a song right now.